0: Good morning. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's always a profound thought to think that just as there were many who laid down their lives for our national freedom, there was one who laid down his life for our eternal freedom, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We're looking today, pausing in our series in Second Chronicles, at a passage of Scripture that has been dubbed through the years, the Soldier's Psalm the Psalm of the Soldier, and it's Psalm 27. And as you're turning there, you're going to find, as I begin reading this, that this is descriptive of warfare. David penned these thoughts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it was critically important that David be preserved by God in the midst of these battles, because David was of the promised line that would lead to the one who would fight that ultimate battle, Jesus Christ himself. And so what I want you to see here is that tremendous promise that stands behind this battle that's unfolding in front of our very eyes poetically as David describes these words, these thoughts, these ideas, and these events in a way that I pray is going to minister to our hearts because life is not a playground. Life is a battleground. And what we need to be able to do is to be able to draw insights from God's Word to be able to handle the challenges and the conflicts that come our way. And so no matter what it is you're facing this morning, my prayer is that as we dig deep into God's Word here, you're going to find comfort, you're going to find strength, you're going to find encouragement, you're going to find God at work within your heart as we begin reading in verse 1. Because here now, we find these words that were penned by David with the battles of life in mind. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. And though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. And though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I'll sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you seek his face, your face, Lord, I'll seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So on this Memorial Day weekend, we're going to pause and we're going to reflect upon a a psalm that I think speaks clearly, forcefully, and yet poetically to the issues that we face, the challenges of life themselves. So let's begin by looking to God now in prayer.
1: Life's a battle.
0: Some are fighting for their jobs. Some are fighting for their health. Some just find themselves in a fight, and they're not quite sure why.
1: so many times
0: this is just brought into our into our life experience and we didn't go looking for it and yet it's here and because sin has produced such random chaos in this world we can't always predict father when we might find ourselves under attack but then we find our strength we find our support We find our encouragement when we dig deep into your word and by the Holy Spirit guiding and directing our thinking, opening and developing our hearts. The result is, Father, that we have the equipment necessary to be able to face the tomorrows because we know that we've got the God who decided all of this yesterday through the cross of Jesus Christ and his finished work. The battle belongs to the Lord. Jesus fought that battle successfully on that cross. And what that does now for us is that it warms our hearts, engages our minds,
1: convicts us to reevaluate
0: and realign ourselves to your will, And as we do that, Father, we say to you clearly in our worship: we've "Come here to see Jesus, Him only." I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Donovan Campbell is a man who has written a very powerful memoir about his two times of entering into warfare in Iraq, and a third time in Afghanistan. He's written a book entitled Joker One, a Marine platoon's story of courage, leadership, and brotherhood. You see, in 2004, what he did was he left Princeton as a graduate and decided he'd rather learn leadership skills in the military than in the corporate world. One day in his opening experiences in Iraq, he was awoken to the cry of jihad, 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 penetrating the streets. In an interview regarding this book that he had written, a book to encourage people in the battles of life, you say at one point faith and hope had left and I despaired, quote-unquote. How was that resolved? The answer, the horrors of war did not diminish my view of God or the saving power of Jesus Christ. They simply illustrated more clearly the limits of my own human understanding. Before war, I had the illusion that nearly all of life's events, both the good and the tragic, could somehow be understood and explained. I even demanded it of God. After war, I began to realize just how limited my own ability and understanding of this world truly was. I now have a much better understanding of why God answered Job the way that he did Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I have chosen a world with God. Which to me means a world of hope. Ultimate meaning. Ultimate purpose. Over a world without God. In which our lives have no meaning. And have no purpose. Now what this commander has done for us is, in his own personal experience, allowed us to begin to develop insights into the battle of life and how to approach issues in a way that are going to truly honor God. Now, no matter what you're facing this Memorial Day weekend, and furthermore, if you've got loved ones who are away from you serving overseas or even here in the States, and are needing perspective with regard to the chaos that this world's producing, Well, what we want to do, near and far, is to be able to provide what I see here in these verses as four significant directives in the way in which we can handle the conflict of life that seems to find its way into our own personal experience. The first directive flows out of verses one through three, and I'm going to phrase it like this. Then number one, in times of conflict, meditate upon the nature of God. Meditate upon the nature of God. Remember, before you begin to deal with the conflict of life, you've got to deal with the God who is over conflict and the God who has entered into the conflict via the cross of Jesus Christ. Notice how David begins. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What I want you to notice here is that David is using three significant descriptions of God, not three significant descriptions of his conflict, rather, three significant descriptions of God. Because he understands, and we need to understand, that we start with God, not the conflict of life. And so, when you and I are going to get our bearings in this world, we've got to do what Genesis 1 1 does. In the beginning, God. Notice the three descriptives The Lord is my light. Notice that it's personal. Furthermore, if God is my light, that presumes then that I am living in a world of darkness. Due to the sin of this world, what you and I find is that we need that one to illuminate our path. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? David does not merely refer to him as the God. Notice here that he says the Lord is my not thee. The Lord is my light. He's personal. Is God personal with you? Are you personal with God? But notice furthermore, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, which then presumes that you and I need to be saved from something. Powerfully, what God has done is that through the line of David, the ultimate Davidic king, Jesus Christ, will enter into this world to die for our sins, providing us with salvation. But notice here that he does not say the Lord provides light. He says that the Lord is my light. He does not say the Lord provides my salvation. He says the Lord is my salvation. Before you begin to deal with what you want from God, you've got to begin by dealing with who God is. So often we want to move quickly to an action-oriented God, and that's understandable in the challenges of life. But what we've got to do is to begin to ask the serious questions of our starting points. When you and I are facing difficult times, Do I begin with an action plan I'm giving to God? Or am I simply dealing with the God of action? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And thirdly, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And so I went on my search engine and I began to scan the terrain of Israel And looking at the places where Israel could view themselves as vulnerable to Hamas or Hezbollah terrorist organizations. And what interests is the number of strongholds that are positioned throughout the terrain of the Holy Land. It is a a rocky soiled setting. And so you find these various rocky compositions of strongholds there to protect people in the midst of the battles of life. Now, it doesn't say the Lord provides me with a stronghold. What David is saying is that out here in the terrain where I can feel extremely vulnerable, the Lord is my stronghold. Have you reached that point in life? where maybe right now life has thrown you a major curve and you are feeling extremely vulnerable about what is happening, what is occurring, and you're trying to figure out next steps. Start with God. Before you deal with what God does, deal with who God is. Deal with the threefold description, the Lord is my light, the Lord Is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. And now notice furthermore this. David produces two significant questions. Do you spot them? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Question Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Question Of whom shall I be afraid? Notice that the question follows the descriptions of God. They don't precede the descriptions of God. In other words, once he's got the answer figured out, then he poses the question. He doesn't start with the question and proceed to the answer. He starts with God and then produces the questions. This works, except in the case of if you're a contestant on Jeopardy! But otherwise here, what I want you to see is that when you and I begin with God, God then helps us to clarify the questions we need to be posing. But the reality is you've started with the answer and now puts the question in proper perspective and you don't feel so overwhelmed by the issues of life. Have you done that? And starting with, why me, God? A better question would be, why not me, God? is to say, who are you, God? And then you proceed from there to be able to work out the issues of the hour and the questions that you have, particularly when it comes to the fears of life itself. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? In other words, if God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, that puts in perspective the questions of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? So now, with that in mind then, notice furthermore, he now produces something with regard to the opposition of life in verses 2 and 3. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they'll stumble and fall, and though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear, though war breaks out against me, even then... Will I, will I be confident? Notice that word confident. Now, what stands out at this point is he begins to describe the opposition only after he's described his God. Too many st- times we start with the problem and then try to find our way to God. He starts with God and then produces a problem. Notice the terminology of the opposition. Words and phrases stand out. Evil men, my enemies, my foes, in verse 2. An army, war, in verse 3. Notice not only the description of the opposition, but notice the intensity of the conflict. Other words stand out. Advance, in verse 2. devour. Attack. In verse 3, besiege. Break out. But through all this, I want you to notice the phrasing of faith. He says here, they will stumble and fall. In verse 2. The war break out against me, even then will I be confident. In verse 3. In other words, when you and I start with God and then move to the conflicts of life, we've got a better perspective on how to handle the issues that come our way. But if we try to start with the issues of life and then make our way to God, the issues of life can seem so overwhelming. So he has put everything in proper sequence. The historian Tertullian recalls and describes a time of how The Roman military group, known as the Thundering Legion, got their name. It was A.D. 176. The emperor, Marcus Aurelius, known for the persecution of the Christians in the Roman Empire. But the emperor was engaged in a campaign against the Germans. And the Germans were on a march. And the Roman soldiers found them encircled. There were mountains occupied by the enemies. But furthermore, there was a drought, and the men were tormented by thirst, lack of of water. It was then that the commander of this particular legion told the emperor that this legion was made up primarily of Christians and that they believed in the power of prayer. Tertullian tells us that the emperor then sarcastically responded, then let them pray. Listen to what happened next. Tertullian tells us the soldiers of the legion then bowed on the ground, prayed in the name of Christ to deliver the army, And they had scarcely risen from their knees when this great thunderstorm arose, accompanied by hell. The storm drove out the enemies out of their strongholds. Coming down from the mountains, they begged the Romans for mercy, assuming that God was against them. At this point, once informed, the emperor decreed that this legion should therefore be called the Thundering Legion. And as a result of this episode, he pulled back on his tendency to persecute Christians throughout the Roman Empire. In other words, when faith is tested in the battles of life, it is then that that person who is faithful has someone, something to say to those who are being tested in the battles of life. Faith which can't be tested can't be trusted. So what we do then is in the battles of life itself, we start with God. And so on a daily basis, my challenge is begin with God, with his attribute his characteristics, his distinctives. And in your devotional life, look for the nature of God in the verses that you're reading. And that will be your first approach of putting in motion an action plan for the day. In times of conflict, meditate upon the nature of God, verses 1 through 3. But now... Here's a second directive, and it flows poetically out of verses 4 through 6. That in times of conflict, establish your primary request of God. If you're given an opportunity to ask God one thing, one thing tomorrow morning,
1: what's it going to be?
0: Here we find in verse 4, David writing, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. Underline that one thing I ask of the Lord. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him, to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask of the Lord. Now, what you and I find is that when we are conflicted, when we are challenged, and when life becomes tremendously confusing, once we've established who God is, then we reach a point of saying, now, I've got to prioritize all these issues. What is the one thing I need to ask of the Lord? What you may want to do at this point is to Make your way through the scriptures and look for one thing principles. And as you do so, you're going to make your way somewhere in the midst of your devotions to a scene in Luke chapter 10, where now Jesus and his disciples are on their way and they come to this particular village in verse 38 of Luke 10. And a woman by the name of Martha opens her home to him. We're told that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was a religiously busy person, you know. So she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care about my sister? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Very task-oriented. How does Jesus respond? Martha, Martha, when Jesus says your name twice, watch out. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only
1: one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. Are you developing that spiritual discipline
0: in your own life? Because when we're conflicted, we're conflicted and part of the conflictedness deals with the tremendous variety of issues, challenges, options that we're confronted with. Mary gets focused. What I find here in David's description poetically of the battles of life is how focused this man truly is. Are you focused or are you distracted by life's challenges? One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. Notice here the longing, the hungering, the the drivenness to be able to experience the presence of God. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To seek him in his temple. And you look at this and you say, well, Gary, um, the temple wasn't built during the days of David. It was built during the days of his successor, his son Solomon. Right. Right. David was already taking the future and bringing it into the present. He's saying, I can picture this. I long for this. I desire this. Even though he himself will not physically be able to be a participant in this, nonetheless, this is what drives him forward because that temple was a reflection of the presence of God in the midst of the Israelite people. And he's bringing the, the temple into the battle." Bring the temple into the battle, you're discerning the presence of God even in the challenges of life. It's the psalm of the soldier, you know. Where in verse 5 he says that in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, set me high upon a rock, and then my head will be exalted. Above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I'll sing and make music to the Lord. It's an astounding statement of confidence and security and faith and strength when you're able to sing in the midst of life's conflict, you know. Got a song in your heart? You got a song on your lips? Here's David. Sometimes the music goes silent when we start with what opposes us rather than God who is for us. But when the music plays, it's because God is at work. And we know that in the times of conflict, we are called, number one, to meditate upon the nature of God as you and I see it now in verses 1 through 3. We're getting a sense of what it's about. And number two, we establish our primary request of God, a one-thing-I-ask approach to daily living in verses 4, 5, and 6. You doing that? Here's a third directive, and it flows now out of verses 7 through 12. That in times of conflict, seek the presence and teaching of God. Seek the presence and the teaching of God. It says, almost now, in the midst of the conflict, he's got to shout, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. But, you know, he even hears the whisper. And even that aching whisper that never gets out of the lips but still resides in the heart. Be merciful to me and answer me. And in verse 8, lo and behold, something resonates here that transports us right back to our studies in 2 Chronicles. Look at verse 8. David says, My heart says of you, seek his
1: face. It's
0: almost as if he's talking it out with his heart now. You ever had a talk with your heart? My heart says of you, seek his face. Answer, your face, Lord, I will seek. And David's son, who grasped the significance of the temple, brought into the challenge of life upon that dedication of the temple, shares these words, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and what? Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal their land. And now Solomon's got this tremendous opportunity of thinking of the musical compositions of his military father, My heart says if you seek his face, your face, Lord,
1: I'll seek. Remember the first time you got
0: here, this church? Be curious as to whether or not when you walked through the doors for the first time, you looked around to see if you were able to find a familiar face.
1: Now we're talking poetically here. Is God's face familiar to you?
0: You sense that face-to-face encounter happening here, so to speak, poetically? David and his God? You can almost hear the sigh in verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Do you see the phrasing here at the end of verse 9? Do not reject me or forsake me. Underline that word reject and underline that word forsake. You know, in Psalm 22, verse 1, David would pen these thoughts prophetically. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same Hebrew word is utilized there in Psalm 22, verse 1. And is being used to describe this soldier on the battlefield of life. Is that where you're at? In these verses. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. And he keeps it personal. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And now... David may be giving you and me a little bit of insight into family dynamics here. Did you spot that in verse 10? Though my father and mother forsake me. Now allow that to interpret what happened when Jesse, David's father, paraded all of Jesse's sons before Samuel as they were trying to determine who was going to be the new king to replace Saul. And all the sons, with the exception of David, were present. Now Jesse could have called David and the flocks in so that all sons could be present and accounted for. But David was left off in the fields to tend the flocks, to manage the responsibilities, as all the others now had the opportunity to be presented with privilege. Ever feel like you've been given all the responsibilities and privileges are hard to be found? Is it possible that David poetically now is describing the fact that this is the family dynamics that he experienced in the early days of life? Have you ever been rejected? Though my father and my mother forsake me, at the end of verse 10, we are informed the Lord will receive me. And now what fascinates me at this point is that that word receive carries with the idea of a father lifting up his son into his arms. So now, cultivate this contrast in this particular verse. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up my Father in heaven, into his arms. Now, once you've got that kind of reception, you've got that teachable spirit. If God seems distant, removed, and harsh to you, most likely you're not prepared to allow for that truth to penetrate your heart. But now he's got this teachable spirit because he's got a Father in heaven who loves him. So he says, teach me your way, O Lord, Lead me in a straight path. Joker one. Joker one. As Donovan Campbell now is asked another question about that book, his memoir, upon leaving Princeton and leading now troops twice in Iraq and once in Afghanistan. The writer poses a question. Why did you institute platoon-wide prayer of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Before each mission. And how did the men respond in your troop? Response? I believed that it worked, that God listened regardless of his response. And the, I thought that prayer would be our own private prayer battle discipline, one that helped establish our, our unit identity as Joker One. My men loved that psalm. In fact, before one mission, I was so busy that I forgot to lead the prayer. I was rushing in between trucks when all of a sudden I heard a soft murmuring coming from three separate vehicles. It was my three different squads, each praying Psalm 23 softly to themselves. It was at that moment that I realized the platoon had truly come together and that God was in our midst. You have that teachable spirit you able to feel that sense of yes he is uplifting me even when perhaps somewhere along the way you felt such incredible rejection in times of conflict thirdly seek the presence and the teaching of god and then you're ready for how this ends
1: battle weary
0: But God's sensitive. He now in verse 13 writes, I am still confident of this. I will seek, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. And now you say, Gary, I just spotted once again a connection. I'm saying, I'm glad you did. Because you took verse 13 where it says, I am still confident. And you have drawn it back to verse 3, which ended, Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. And now what you found here is that you have bookended. You have literally bookended the conflicted challenges that come your way in life. This is God-given, not self-driven confidence. It's faith. It is a faith rooted in who God is, not in who we are. Therefore, in what God does, not in what I can do, I am still confident, he says. as Now he, he, he closes this whole thing and envelops it and connects the dots. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And what he now is embracing is the promised strategy of God. He is this Davidic king that's going to lead to the one that will produce the ultimate sense of being the one who produces life in the land of the living. So you know what he says? Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart. Wait for the Lord. Here's your fourth directive. That in times of conflict, wait upon the intervention of God. But God in his mercy doesn't say that at the beginning in verse 1. He says this at the end in verse 14 because he's got to lead you through this whole process to get to this point. But what I did was I, I, I looked very carefully into that word wait. va, in the Hebrew. It means literally to twist. Stretch. The noun form is that of a line, a cord, or a thread. And in the verb form, it describes the making of a strong, powerful rope or cord by twisting and being woven. And now I picture that believer on the battlefield of life. And what God is doing with you is that he is making this strong, Powerful rope or cord. He's twisting you. He's weaving you so tightly around your Lord. Your Lord. That his strength overcomes our weakness. Do you commemorate Memorial Day differently now that you've served in these various wars? What will you do this Memorial Day? Donovan Campbell, Joker One, is asked. Answer. Now I treat every day differently. I view each day as a gift, not an obligation. And I praise God for each one that I have. This Memorial Day weekend, I'll pray for the fallen and their families, some of whom I know, and I'll take a step back from my life and thank God for the provision of life, my family, my health, my friends, my Savior, and I'll take a few moments to reflect on the tremendous responsibility I have to live the one life I have well. For there are so many others who would love a life but who no longer have it. But I know the one who gave his life so that I might have it Jesus. Let's stand together. And so, Father, no matter how bad or weary some of my loved ones are in these services this morning, I pray that we'll take these directives and follow the natural flow to the outcome in verse thirteen and fourteen. And praying that no matter how twisted and turned we've been, we're wrapping ourselves around our Saviour. We pray likewise for families who've lost loved ones while serving in the military. They're here in this congregation,
1: in in this church.
0: Minister to them this weekend. Pray for our soldiers at home and overseas. May they draw deeply from the God who is. May all of us, Father, take these words to heart written by a man who is battle-weary and can speak from first-hand experience. We start with you. We end with you. And may you be honored and glorified. So, Father, on this Memorial Day weekend where there are many who laid down their lives for our national freedom. We end by praising you for the one who laid down his life for eternal freedom, our Jesus. And we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.